1: You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast
0: Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 347, I think, of Locked On Raptors for, this is going to come out on Tuesday, June 12th. Uh This is me just talking through your calendar or my calendar. I'm your host, of course, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at LockedOnRaptors, We can find links to every single episode. Please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network, which hosts team-focused shows for all thirty NBA teams. We got Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd, Locked On NBA with David Locke, and you can find them all together neatly organized for your listening pleasure on the Locked On NBA iTunes channel. Later this week, our draft is beginning, and the mock draft, the Locked On NBA mock draft, is starting. Uh, We'll have, I believe, the first six picks on the 13th, which would be Wednesday? I think that's the day we're starting it. It's later this week. Keep an eye out on the feed. It's going to come up uh, five straight days. We'll have picks one through six, then seven through 12, on down through the entire first round, uh, with the hosts of each team playing GM for those teams. I will probably not be involved unless I can pull off a trade late here. But I don't think that's going to happen because no one seems to want DeLon Wright for a mid-first round pick, which is disappointing. So. Uh, you will probably won't hear probably won't hear me on that, but if you listen to the show, it's still great. Anyway, it was our highest listened to show last season uh, across the board. It was excellent and uh, good good analysis. David Alok does a good job breaking down the prospects. We probably have an expert on as well. Not sure if we Mike Schmitz again. He was on last year. Maybe it's someone else. But uh, really worth your time if you're a draft person and with the draft, you know, just uh, just under two weeks away. So. Look out for that later this week. And if you find a show on the Lockdown Network, including Lockdown Raptors, please subscribe to rate and review uh, on iTunes. It's the best way to support the show and show that you care and help with the rankings and the algorithms and all that stuff. So thanks in advance for taking the time. All right, on today's show. We are wrapping up our main section of the player reviews. We've done pretty much every important player, except for probably the most important player. We're going to talk about Kyle Lowry today. Uh, We'll finish up maybe with like a last podcast on the end of Bench Guys, but maybe not because who really cares? I don't really want to talk about Nigel Hayes. Um, But Kyle Lowry, much more important than Nigel Hayes, and also very important is our guest today. It's Daniel Hackett from Raptors HQ. How's it going, man? It's going well. How's How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Uh, Yeah, just sort of going through it, waiting for some stuff to happen. I'm fully entrenched in LeBron rumors now. I'm ready for him to be a Raptor. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. The Raptors are, the, the wound has kind of healed over a little bit. And maybe this will be a, a way to sort of help steer the you know, talking about kyle larry might help boost the positivity as well because as bad as the season was and as poorly as it ended uh kyle larry was awesome and he was a big reason why the regular season itself was excellent and even the playoffs he was really good so we'll get to him in just a second but a little bit of news i guess came down uh, over the weekend uh that is a little bit old as this comes out but we might as well talk about it jerry stackhouse is leaving he's going to The Memphis Grizzlies to be an assistant with J.B. Bickerstaff. I figured we should probably talk about that. Daniel, um, you know, it's bittersweet, I think. It's cool that Jerry Stackhouse is going to get a high-level assistant job. It sounds like he's going to be pretty high on Bickerstaff's staff. That's great. Uh, Obviously, the way the interviews have gone, it sounds like Nick Nurse is probably the leading candidate among the Raptors guys. Hell, by the time this comes up, maybe Nick Nurse has already been hired as the Raptors head coach. Um, So it didn't seem like Stackhouse was long for Toronto, are you upset about stackhouse leaving are you bummed out that the raptors didn't you know facilitate him becoming the head coach does it feel like a bit of like uh i don't know it almost feels like the oakland a's of coaching where it's like yeah we'll we'll groom all these guys and then everyone else will just poach the dudes when uh they're really hot candidates but that's what happens when you're really good at grooming coaches you're not going to be able to keep all of them uh how was your what was your reaction to the stackhouse news
1: yeah, it, it felt kind of inevitable yeah. uh, with the way the search was going. Uh, once they sort of threw everybody's hat in the ring, there was only ever going to be, at most, one of these assistants still here. Because mm-hmm. uh, it felt like all the assistants, uh, of, of the high, the big-name assistants, anyway, Nurse Kalamian uh, and Stack, it seemed like if they weren't going to get picked to coach, none of them were going to assist the others. Mm-hmm. Um, so as soon as that started, at most, one of them was going to be here uh and it looks like nurse has definitely taken the lead in that race um no, it's funny that we haven't heard anything about kalemian because uh, he's been bandied about as a fairly big assistant coach name uh as an up-and-coming soon-to-be head coach as well but uh he fell he, right off the map right away So uh, that's a little bit funny. But yeah, Stackhouse going to, uh, I think it's Memphis? Yep. Yeah. Uh, He seems like a great fit there. Mm -hmm. Uh, It seems like a a good place for him to be. And, uh, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily about him getting a higher ranking position than he could get here. If if Nurse was hired, I wouldn't be surprised if Stackhouse might get the the top assistant role here. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think once you've gone through a situation in an organization where you're up for the job and you don't get it, then you maybe look to expand your contacts in the coaching industry and and sort of go to a different team, build some more connections and impress some new people, because he's probably done all the impressing he's going to do here.
0: Yeah, and you know, it also makes sense, like, theoretically, if you're looking at a job and you don't get the job, like, I think... If you're trying to ascend to that same level somewhere else, or just in your career, period, like I think it's probably just looking at it, it's more likely that another job that you'd be waiting for would come up sooner than a team that's just about to hire a new head coach. I mean, things can go poorly. It could be a one or two years stint for whoever the new head coach is. But in theory, you would think the Raptors are trying to hire the new guy for the long haul. So maybe it's a strategic thing for Stachos too. I mean, Memphis, you know, they brought back bigger, bigger staff. He's going to be there for the full season for the first time this coming year. But that's a team in flux, and they seem to get rid of coaches just kind of willy-nilly whenever they want to or whenever they piss off Mark Gasol. So maybe we'll see Stack sort of ascend there. Maybe that's a better sort of avenue for him to get to where he eventually wants to go. Either way, he was great for the franchise. I'm curious to see who's going to take over that 905 job and that's like big shoes to fill because they made two straight finals with two entirely different teams under Stackhouse and that is no... Uh, small feet, so I'm interested to see what it be. I, w- I would put probably bet on like Jama getting the job. Um, it seems like he's kind of a, one of the, one of those next hot guys in the Raptors pipeline, and you know it's always kind of been a younger sort of on the fringe of being a front row type head coach. I guess Jama is a front row head coach, but her assistant coach, but. Um, it's, that's kind of been the, the mold. I mean, Jesse Mermis, this is similar, younger guy sort of want to come up, got that job in the first season, Stackhouse the same. So I would probably put my money on JAMA getting the job, but, uh, we'll have to see what happens there. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house, house, or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. File with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So... Switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Let's get into Kyle Lowry, yeah. though. How about that? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Lowry is really good. <laughs> he is uh, a, an excellent basketball player, and the Raptors are very lucky to have him. It was obviously a different kind of season for for Kyle this year, not as much of a pronounced role as sort of an offensive creator. He did a lot of stuff working off the ball. He, you know, ceded a lot of the playmaking duties to DeMar DeRozan and even Fred VanVleet at times in crunch time. And, you know, the, the numbers across the board are just not as sort of eye-popping as they were in the past. He didn't shoot quite as well from three as he did uh, a season prior. But that, you know, last season, twenty sixteen seventeen 17, it was like an unbelievable, ridiculous season from him before he got hurt. Uh, but still, about 40% from the from deep. He shot 43% from the field, which I think is probably sort of the, the biggest drop-off. I think just the way that he went about his shot chart, he wasn't really occupying the interior the way he would in the past, and that probably led to a lower shooting percentage. But, you know, elsewhere, just, like, across the board, just uh, really steady, always the Raptors are better when he's on the court. This has been the case forever now. Uh, I wouldn't say it was his best season as a Raptor, because I think you could probably say that's either 15-16 or 16-17 before he got hurt, but it's right up there. And in terms of his on-court, you know, statistical numbers, like his, his sort of advanced numbers, he just was... Everything for the Raptors. He remained the engine that kept the Raptors going, and it was awesome. What was your sort of favorite thing about Kyle Lowry's season this year? Uh, his age 31 season, he's still doing it. He's still really good. What, what, what did you sort of take away from this season, from a positive viewpoint?
1: Yeah, uh, well, there's a lot of positives. Uh, speaking to your, your point about his shooting percentages, yeah. uh, his, his raw field goal percentage did go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a big part of that is his three-point attempt rate, the number the number of his shots that came from three, yeah. was significantly higher than it's ever been before in his career. Uh, last year, he took half of his shots from a three-point range, half of his field goal attempts, mm-hmm. which was already his career high. This year, it was 63%. Yeah. <laughs> which is, a, again, a massive leap. So even though his field goal percentage took quite a dip, his true shooting percentage was still nearly 60%, Yeah, uh, which is pretty incredible. Uh, the only other time he's topped it in his career was last year when he had that crazy shooting from distance. Um, and at the same time, with the playmaking point, although he did take a bit of a backseat uh, in most sets, uh, especially early in the year as he was feeling his way into the, the system, um, he still posted a higher assist rate this year than the last two seasons, mm-hmm. uh, which is really impressive. The way he managed to actually find his way in this uh, in this system
0: yeah. uh, as the year went along. Yeah, it was almost like he did more with less in terms of usage and just possessions, where he was sort of a crucial figure. And you know, maybe you could kind of look at that shot distribution you mentioned—the 63% of his shots coming from deep. Like that could kind of maybe play with your mind a little bit and make it seem like he was a bit more of a passenger out there but you know whatever the ball did swing to him or it did sort of fall on him to make a play he usually was able to do it and that was exciting Kyle Lowry he's just so good man and I think a lot of people probably underrate this season from him just because the the raw numbers aren't there and he didn't play quite as much and DeMar you know he got the the fifth place MVP vote or whatever he got the the the, the all NBA team like in. Kyle's not going to get those things at the end of the season, but I still would say Kyle had a better season and is a better player than DeMar DeRozan. And still was more of a sort of impact on the court for the Raptors than DeMar. You know, is, this isn't a slight against DeMar. This has always kind of been the thing is when you compare the two, you ultimately end up sort of just like slagging one of the, one or the other just to try to make a point. But it's not that. It's just... DeMar doesn't quite have the same sort of holistic impact that that Kyle does on the court, and he can kind of that, that can kind of play into people just thinking, or just I don't know, it feels like people degradate what DeMar does because Kyle is so good, and I feel like that's unfair Like because Kyle's just really good, and that's just kind of what it is and it's not DeMar's fault that Kyle's as good as he is or as effective as he is on the court it's just kind of how it is
1: Yeah, I think, I think the two players sort of provide different things Yeah um, a couple seasons ago when they were going into the off season where they may or may not sign Demar DeRozan um i, I put together a post where I talked about uh why I thought they should resign uh Demar mm-hmm. in spite of his somewhat blah uh on court impact numbers um just because of the value that production provides to a team totally separate from impact mm-hmm. you know you have to have guys who can put the ball in the basket you can have five blue guys out there and you're not going to win no matter how good they are um at defense and uh, the intangibles if they can't score. So, you know, you, you do need some guys who can put the ball in the basket. And as much as Kyle Lowry is a great scorer by himself, um, when he carries too much of a load uh, in terms of minutes or in terms of usage, he does tend to break down a little bit. Um, so I don't think it's a coincidence that Kyle saw one of his best seasons this year when his minutes dropped mm. uh, and he was able to play 78 games for the first time since 2013-14 uh, and put up more minutes than last year because he managed to avoid that uh, that end-of-season injury mm-hmm. that he seems to have every couple of seasons, um, even though he played less minutes per game. Uh, and a big part of that is that DeMar DeRozan uh, takes on such a load uh, night in, night out.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a symbiotic relationship there because DeMar... He obviously excels, I think, when his usage is higher because he's not so much of an off-ball threat. So if you can maximize DeMar's time on the court while also sort of limiting Larry's exposure and limiting the amount that he has to do, that leads to Kyle sort of producing more with less. And I think... Uh, any sort of conversation about the two and like we go into this offseason and we'll talk about the future of Kyle but when we talked about DeMar I mean you can talk about trading DeMar all you want but I feel like it's a pretty low low likelihood that you're getting something back that can absorb that many touches, that many possessions, that much of a, of a burden offensively, and still expect Kyle to maintain the same level. Because you could argue, yeah, maybe you trade Demar for bit parts and they're like some more glue guys, like you said. And in theory, it's a better team on the court. But over the course of an 82-game season, that's probably not going to be the case. And I think, especially with Kyle going to be 32 next season, like having someone to sort of take on that load is uh, is damn useful. And I think any sort of conversation of the Raptors running it back or trying to compete next season, whether it's with the same core or not, I think you're kind of missing the point if you say, all right, just trade one of them and they'll still be good next season. Because their their, their success is very much sort of related, even if their, their ceiling is, you know, kind of leaves something to be desired. Um, what Was there anything from this season that sort of rubbed you the wrong way about Kyle? Or was there anything that he didn't do well that uh, you wish he had done better, that he needs to do better if you know the Raptors have a hope in hell of having a better result by the end of next season? Or is, it, or is he kind of blameless in what happened to the Raptors? Um, I mean, I don't know anybody's
1: blameless, uh, but he certainly wasn't one of the issues that they had
0: uh, mm.
1: in the playoffs, in my opinion anyway. I'm not a good person to ask for the for the bad thing about Kyle Lowry. I'm a huge, <laughs> huge fan of his. But uh yeah, I I don't uh, I don't know. It's hard to say what um, what Larry could have done differently this season, given what he had to work with in the playoffs, which mm-hmm. was Demar Derozan completely disappearing uh, and Dwayne Casey turning in a fireball offense uh, of a playoffs, which you know came to fruition as it turned out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of hard to differentiate for a lot of the players on the team, including Larry. You know, oh, you know, they, the performance or the success just wasn't there, but how much of that was on them and how much of it was on the, uh, the two really big names uh, really having a bad spring? The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and
0: wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, for sure. I think for me, if there's one thing that, and this might never come back for Kyle, because like we've talked about, he's in his 30s now and he's six feet tall and it might never come back. It did feel like his explosion kind of left him a little bit this season, and you know we saw how important in the playoffs it was across the entire playoffs, but with the Raptors as well. Just the ability to be able to score against the switch, take advantage of a matchup and score, that used to be sort of a hallmark of Kyle. He would cook big guys kind of routinely, and especially in that Wizards series, when the Wizards started switching a bunch, they, they got way more conservative after Game 1 where they trapped everything. Kyle kind of struggled, and really it was a bit of a sort of chore to watch him try to break down a Marching Gortat or a Mar- 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 Markeith Morris. And that, I think, you know, that might just be something that is, you, know, you, you raise your hands and say, all right, well, he's 32, like, he can't do that anymore, that's fine, got to find a way around it. But I think, you know, if you're the kind of person who looks at this Raptors team and says, hey, like, I want this team to win a title, title or bust... Like Kyle's not going to be part of a team that wins a title with this with this Raptor's core I don't think uh, especially as like a one or two option just because that ability to score in you know against matchups that should in theory be prime matchups for for picking apart I think is not really there for him anymore and it wasn't always there to the greatest extent just because he's a six foot tall guy and it's harder for that to sort of be an area of strength for for a guy of his size but um, I think, in, in, in particular, this season, and we saw it in the regular season as well, and that might have just been a function of him not being as aggressive and him just hanging back more and being more willing to just jack threes off, off the catch instead of you know trying to break guys down. Um, but I, I do think that's definitely a part of his game that is uh, maybe just not going to be there anymore, and that could cause problems if you want to see this team ceiling, you know, raised by, by any sort of you know just considerable amount. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, this year he did see. He's been seeing for a couple of years. His free throw rate has been dropping. Yeah. Um, and this year, a big part of that is that that shot chart uh, a lot more threes taken, but he did see his free throw rate dropped by like thirty percent. Yeah. Compared to last year, which was already a drop off from the year before. Um, so that two seventy six that he posted this year is the lowest of his career. Um, so he's definitely not getting to the rim the same effectiveness that he used to. The only year of his career that even compares to that was 2014-15 where he was injured and useless for most of the year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a good indicator that his, his aggressiveness inside just isn't there anymore. Um, so, and even in the playoffs when his three-point attempt rate dropped down closer to 50%, yeah. it, it's, his free throw rate started stayed down below 30% still. So, yeah. uh, he definitely wasn't getting to the rim like he used to. Um, but, I mean, yeah, like you say, it's the reality of He's getting older. He's not uh, not quite as explosive as he used to be, not that he was ever particularly explosive. Um, but also to your point that uh, it is kind of important to be able to attack switches. We're seeing a lot of defenses in the playoffs switching everything, mm-hmm. um, especially with the, the elite teams. Um, so if you can't attack that, you really can get into a bit of a... Your offense can get really bogged down because you're not generating any sort of uh, opportunity off of screen action plays.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, So as we look forward to the future of Kyle, he's still got two years left on this deal. Um, I can't imagine he's going to be traded this summer. We can talk about that, I suppose. But uh, just like I don't know, there's always like this this fear of this sort of looming fear with small point guards that eventually a steep de- de- decline is going to come, and that you know the Isaiah Thomas season is going to happen to one of these guys at some point. You know, there's, we talk about this with Chris Paul all the time. Chris Paul is a, is a robot and he keeps going, but he still gets hurt all the time. So how much does that matter? I don't know. Um, what do you sort of see for Kyle's future as he ages? Do you think he's a kind of guy who over these next couple years even if that explosiveness continues to decline a little bit is he a guy you think can age gracefully or do you think it's going to kind of come quickly and then the Raptors will be sitting there with a $33 million sort of albatross sitting on their books for a year or two
1: um well I don't think for two I mean he's only got two years left yeah um and I don't see any reason to believe that he'd suddenly drop off to being useless next season yeah um especially considering that a one of his big strengths is shooting, and yeah. that's not a strength that tends to disappear uh, really quickly as you age. It's more the, the quickness and uh, being able to play defense um, tends to go away first. Uh, and he's also uh, a really smart player. Mm-hmm. Like He's never kept in front of opposing point guards particularly well with his lateral quickness. He, just, he has a positive defensive impact because he's a really smart defensive player. He knows what plays are being called on the team, uh, he can see actions happening before they actually happen. Stuff like that is why he really brings a defensive presence, and that's not going to go away either. Um, but, you know, he is going to continue to decline a bit, uh, so I wouldn't expect him to be posting uh, better impact numbers going forward than he is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, the next two seasons are not particularly worrying for me. I'm yeah. pretty sure the the window is really next season – and then after that, it doesn't really matter if they have um, if they have one dead year.
0: Yeah. And I think, yeah, that that expiring contract can become an asset for either for you to trade or just for yourself going forward as well, um, because that is going to matter very soon as uh, big free agents <laughs> Giannis... Uh, come up in the next couple years here. Um, I, yeah, I think he's going to age pretty well as well. And I think you, the shooting point you made is really good. And like, I totally see Kyle Lowry when he's like 37 hitting a monster three for some championship team um, like in, in like a game seven of a conference finals or something like that. I can see that totally being Kyle's future, just like a mercenary shooter who's just going to be out there being mean and still defending people in the post when he's 37. Um, (laughs) Stuff like that. Kyle rules. Um, I guess we should talk about sort of the approach to this offseason with him. and I don't think it matters all that much because, A, I don't think it's very likely that he's traded because I think the Raptors have kind of hinted with the coach firing and just sort of what Masai has said. It sounds like they're probably going to just try to run it back, which I think is a good idea. Um, despite the lack of title odds. But um, I don't know, if you were to go about trying to trade Kyle Lowry, you're the salary cap dude, you know this stuff way better than I do, um, and just sort of the, the value that might be attached to a guy like him, which might not be particularly high right now, Like, what would a Kyle Lowry trade have to look like for you this offseason for you to even think about it? Because like for me, it's not really even something I'm contemplating, but I don't know, maybe you see it differently.
1: Uh, I think if you trade Kyle Lowry, you do it to get worse, yeah. not to get better. Yeah. Um, so if they're doing that, I suspect that DeMar DeRozan is moving first. Yeah. I think the only scenario where Lowry goes is if DeRozan goes first and they decide, well, instead of kind of taking a half-step here and seeing if we can replace DeRozan, maybe be better by getting his specific weaknesses off the team and seeing if we can survive the, the loss of his usage and minutes... Um, instead of taking that sort of half step there, maybe they just say, you know what, we got rid of DeRozan, we'll just tear the thing down. Get what value we can now. The mm-hmm. window is closed. Forget it. Uh, if they go that route, uh, then they might look to move Lowry. Um, and even then, I think that his value is pretty questionable with very few key exceptions around the league. Um, I wrote an article earlier in the season, sort of pitching Trade ideas for all the core members uh, of the team. Mm-hmm. And the one I came up with for Larry is if, if, big if, if Philadelphia manages to bring a superstar to their team this summer with their cap space, let's say LeBron James, or even if they get Paul George or someone of that ilk, yeah. um, then if they're under immediate pressure from that superstar to, to add more veteran talent, then Larry could be a pretty enticing piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Seventy Sixers have the the role players and young assets that would uh, be a pretty good return for him. So I think the the imaginary deal I put together was something like Faults, Covington, and Bayless right. uh, on his expiring contract for Lowry, plus maybe a pick or something.
0: Um, Bayless back for Lowry—that would be a uh, just a, <laughs> yeah, strange, a strange, strange return to two thousand twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, there's not that many teams out there that need a point guard. It's such a deep position around the league, and it feels kind of replaceable at this point, which is weird to say. But it, the the shift that has gone from point guard being like the position position de jour to just like wings who are six foot seven being that that thing is uh, it's pretty quick, and it's kind of leaving the point guard market. It's not quite like the center market, I don't think, where you're just like you're never gonna find a deal. But I don't think it's far off. Like I just think like, teams aren't going to want to pay $33 million or whatever it is Kyle's owed next year for a point guard. That seems like a lot. Uh, when, yeah, I, think, I think
1: most teams won't want to, uh, which is why his market will be very, very tough. Yeah. Uh, except for very specific instances. Like, for example, if the Seven Sixers do get LeBron, mm-hmm. then the thing they need from a point guard is they need somebody steady who can run a team when LeBron's off the ball and who can play fantastically off the ball as a dead-eye shooter, which is exactly what Kyle projects to be in the next couple of seasons. Uh, but I agree, for most teams, uh, that fit isn't quite there, uh, and the value from a point guard over a league average point guard mm-hmm. uh, isn't quite as obvious.
0: I like how you just described what George Hill was supposed to be before he was terrible.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Larry is a good George Hill. <laughs>
0: Uh yeah, Kyle Lowry's awesome. That's pretty much it. Uh that that's the summation of this podcast. Uh Dan, anything you want to throw in on Kyle before we wrap this thing up? Uh I think we've kind of we've appreciated Kyle Lowry very much on this podcast. This is uh write it down. This is a pro Kyle Lowry podcast. Um anything you want to chime in f- parting shots before we wrap this thing up?
1: Yeah, I'll give you one one thing I looked up for this podcast. So, uh in terms of the playoffs this year, DeRozan had a terrible playoffs, and Lowry actually had a pretty good one, although yep. you couldn't really tell. Of Lowry's 360 minutes played this playoffs, he played 300 of them with DeRozan. And yep. yet, the team was 8 points better per 100 possessions with Lowry on the court, and 18 points worse with
0: DeRozan.
1: <laughs> In spite of sharing 300 of his 360
0: minutes. <laughs> uh, I blame the Yakupurtle-Sergeabaka front court for that. disparity, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> and they didn't help yeah, certainly not. Kyle Lowry is good at basketball and makes the Raptors quite good when he's on the court. Uh, once again, not not many uh, startling revelations on this podcast, but uh, you know, sometimes there's not that much you can say about a guy who's just consistently good year in year out and should continue to be that next season, regardless of what the Raptors look like. Uh, I think Kyle Lowry is going to be back. I'd put like ninety five percent chance. On that, just because I think a trade will be hard to facilitate for a variety of reasons that we've touched on. Um, so I'm excited. I, I'm down to watch another season of Kyle Lowry being very good. Uh, or, or, or or over everything, actually, should I say. Um, <laughs> in 2018, 19, or whatever the hell year it's going to be next season. Uh, Dan, this was great. Uh, where can people find you? Do you have anything you want to plug right now?
1: I don't really have anything in particular to plug. Uh, I guess just they can find me on Twitter at dhackett1565. Uh, and I'm occasionally writing stuff at
0: Raptors HQ. Yeah, you are the salary cap dude who I DM whenever I'm writing a thing about that, that involves salaries just to make sure I don't sound like a total idiot when I post it. So uh, a little bit behind the scenes there. Thank you so much for being that person for me. Um, yeah, you, you write great stuff. Everyone read Dan on Raptors HQ. Uh, Not anything to plug. That's just like every Raptors writer right now. There's nothing nothing going (laughs) on. No, I got nothing to plug. Uh, But we have this podcast to plug. Please subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. It's the best way to support the show. As always, it takes two seconds and uh, makes my heart grow two sizes whenever you do it. It's very uh, helpful and uh, good for ratings and finding new listeners and all that good stuff that everyone loves. Uh, You can find me on Twitter, as always, at Sean. Remember to check out the Locked On NBA Mock Draft later this week. And I'll be back again on Wednesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors.
1: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.